You are entering the Freedom Hut. President Trump salutes the heroes of Immigrations and Customs Enforcement and Customs and Border Patrol. That's right. Trump is pro-law enforcement. What does that make the other side? The Democrats will get into a story that shows you their mindset. Plus, they are still doubling down on this notion of Brennan's clearance getting taken away as a big problem. We'll dive into what's really going on here, including a piece on TheHill.com written by yours truly that makes sense of all this stuff and much more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This This is The Buck Sexton Show. Where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small step. Make Make no mistake. America. Ready. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Today I sent a letter to state and local leaders across our nation asking them to pledge their full support and cooperation with the officers and agents of ICE and CBC. Sadly, in recent months, incredibly, I have to say, incredibly, a coalition of open borders extremists, and to me that means crime, people that don't mind crime. They mind it when it happens to them. They don't mind it when they have to watch it on television have waged an unprecedented assault on American law enforcement, our greatest people, threatening ICE and Border Patrol for performing their duties admirably and for defending our country from horrible people and horrible, horrible events and crimes. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. You had President Trump today establishing a very clear difference between his administration and how the Republican Party views immigrations and customs enforcement and customs and border patrol, essentially law enforcement as it pertains to U.S. borders and immigration. And this administration and this president are supportive of those agents and officers. This administration believes in their mission, which I would note isn't just an opinion. It's also supported by the law. These are agents of the state. Usually Democrats love agents of the state, especially when they're, you know, they're they're tax collectors, regulators, people like that. You know, people that come and tell a small business what what they can and can't do with their heating ducts in a certain area. Democrats love those kinds of government agents. But the people who work for our federal government who are trying to stop drug smugglers, human traffickers, cartel members, cartel hitmen from coming to the United States, they have a disdain for them. Democrats have been throwing them under the bus. And Trump today held this rally that I think, or held this meeting rather, that uh, really established for all to see what that difference is. Uh, And I'm, I'm glad that we have a president who's finally saying the Democrats are really for open borders. They won't say it. They don't have the courage of their convictions uh, to be honest on this, but they do want open borders. They just don't want that to be the law. They want that to be the reality. This is a question you should ask. The next time you are engaging in this debate, if you do, the next time you have an opportunity to talk to somebody about this who who feels differently from you on it, ask them, say, say, hold on a second. Explain the following to me. Why is it that everything that I hear from the Democrats about immigration, everything I hear from them about illegal immigration specifically, is that it's good? That it's part of the American dream. There's no downside. 
And then you should ask them, well, then why shouldn't we just why shouldn't we be open borders? If you refuse to concede that illegal immigrants are, pose a crime problem, if you refuse to believe that they are a a drain on public resources, that there's really a a, a large scale theft going on uh, from taxpayers to illegal immigrants. If you refuse all of that and you don't even think it affects the political culture of this country, because keep in mind, folks, we have millions and millions of illegal immigrants that are coming in from certain countries that are part of a contiguous landmass with the United States. This is different. Even national security analysts will tell you this is not just immigration from all over the world and people come here. This is immigration from right next door. And historically, this tends not to work out well. This usually leads to secessionist and separatist movements. Oh, I know. No one even thinks about that now. Well, give it time. Give it 100 years. What do we think that will look like? I'm, I'm not worried about people from uh, from Italy or, you know, fr- from Rome or from Shanghai wanting to you know, re- rejoin their former country. But I, I wonder at this rate, what does the future look like of the U.S.-Mexico border? We assume it, it is static, but history tells us it's not. Not even ancient history, okay? Not that long ago. Go back a few generations. So there's no honesty from Democrats about this issue at all. They just pander and do a lot of virtue signaling, dressed up as as sound thinking on policy. And Trump knows that immigration is a weak point for Democrats. The American people are not with the left on immigration. They're just not. Play clip 25. This new wave of anti-borders, anti-law enforcement extremism and shameful, dangerous, it's horrible in every way, and it's going to stop. It's going to stop right now. It's going to stop today. We slowed it down. Now we're stopping it. We will never surrender our nation to the forces of anarchy and chaos and crime. I think we're going to do very well in the midterms, and this is one of the very big reasons The fact is people respect law and order and they love our law enforcement. And I think we're going to have much more of a red wave than what you're going to see as a phony blue wave. Blue wave means crime. It means open borders. Not good. We will not stand for the vile smears, the hateful attacks and the vicious assaults on the courageous men and women of ICE and Border Patrol and law enforcement. So the president is making a pretty clear case here about what's the difference between Republicans and Democrats on the border. I think it's very important that we all hear it, that we all know it. But but there's also this story that broke over the weekend. And, and I got to tell you, I, I try not to spend too much time uh, on social media over the weekends. You know, we, we all need to disengage and, and step back. Right. We all should. We all should do that. But. Uh, I saw this story about an, about Immigrations and Customs Enforcement on video, no less, right? So there's going to be there's going to be video of this that everybody can see and how they swooped in and arrested. It's so terrible. Arrested this man taking his wife to the hospital to deliver a baby. And we were supposed to react to this with shock and outrage, of course, the heartless Immigrations and Customs Enforcement agents are out there doing this terrible work of enforcing the law. And they, you know, they, they stopped this man from being there for the birth of his baby and all this other stuff. 
And then, by the way, this was picked up uh, picked up by a lot of major news outlets all over the place. You know, they're they're all running with this story. You know, ABC, CNN, and and then we find out some additional details of this. This was in San Bernardino, California, over the weekend. Uh, we find out that, sure enough, this individual who was arrested that we were supposed to be uh, deeply concerned about, and we were supposed to really be worried about what what a terrible injustice. What a, a, a tragedy has befallen this country when you have somebody like this arrested on their way to the hospital, no less. It's just unthinkable. So terrible. But then we find out a bit more. It turns out this man, who they were saying is just unjustly, unjustly grabbed, right? Uh, Joel Arona Lara, 36 years old, uh, he was, according to Immigration and Customs Enforcement, wanted on a warrant for murder. And also, by the way, his wife, who was pregnant, on the way to the hospital to have her fifth child, uh, was having a cesarean section, which means that it was a scheduled procedure. So, you know, she was going to be able to get to the hospital, folks, right? I mean, this is not, it's not like the baby was, the baby was, was you know, happening at the gas station where he was arrested. She was on her way to the hospital for an appointment. They found this guy. They think he's wanted for murder. And so they arrest him. And you see how this played out, by the way. I saw one journalist, one blue check journo tweeted out, ICE arrested a California man on Wednesday when he stopped for gas while driving his wife to the hospital for her C-section. She ended up driving herself to the rest of the way, giving birth alone. 23,000 retweets. And then he added this update. ICE said Monday this man was arrested because of a homicide warrant for him in Mexico. ICE didn't mention this in its comments to media yesterday. His lawyer denies there are such charges. No details from ICE. 242 retweets when I, when I saw this earlier today. So over 20,000 retweets of, oh my gosh, look at this guy. He's been grabbed. It's so terrible. Ice is so heartless. 200 when it's like, well, actually, they thought he was a murderer. They actually thought this guy was dangerous, right? Murderers are dangerous. You want to take them off the street. And the media narrative very quickly uh, fell apart here, right? All of a sudden, it was not really a story they were very focused on. But I, I want to take this. Oh, th- there's also this point they make of how I said in their initial statement that no one is shielded. You know, if you're here illegally, you can be deported. No one's shielded from deportation, whether you're on the way to the hospital or whatever. I mean, if, if they detain you, they detain you. Right. By the way, police you know, busted into Metaphor's home at six o'clock or five o'clock in the morning. Right. I mean, police come at very inopportune times. Years ago, there was a wh- an NSA whistleblower. I remember the case. They came in and pulled him out of the shower with MP5s drawn. They sent in a SWAT team to grab that guy. By the way, you know what he ended up getting uh, for jail time? Nothing. Got probation for a misdemeanor. Didn't even, he didn't do anything. Released unclassified information that, that the government didn't like, but that's a conversation for another time. But yeah, that's right. Law enforcement will take you at, at inconvenient times. They'll do that for citizens, by the way. They do that for all of us. Right. If, if they have to arrest, if, if it's if they have to execute an arrest, you're getting arrested. There's not this like, oh, well, you know, I'm on the way to get coffee or, you know, I got a doctor's appointment. Can you arrest me later? That's not how it works. And what they're saying here, what Immigration and Customs Enforcement initially said was, well, 
yeah, we're deporting this guy. He's got a deportation order out on him. And and the media said, oh, my gosh, it's so heartless and terrible. And then we found out that there's a murder warrant. And now, now people are saying, well, no, there's not a murder warrant. Well, guess what? If, if that was the information ICE had, they have to act on it, right? If Mexico has some mess up in their system, it's not our federal officers' faults. They're, they're doing their job. They think they're taking a murderer off the street. They should be praised for this. But then there's one other point, and this is the biggest one. And this goes right to the heart of why people really want to hear from, from Trump on this and, and why his message on this issue is so very, very important. Why was this even a national news story? That this man was detained by Immigrations and Customs Enforcement. If he were not an illegal alien, which he was, Right. If he were not an illegal alien, if he were just a guy wanted on an outstanding drug warrant, wanted on an assault charge, and he were on his way to the hospital with his wife, would this have been a news story, period? I don't mean a national level front page weekend news story, which is what this was treated as. I mean, would anybody in the media care at all? Well, you know, the answer is no. And this then brings me to what they really don't want you to think about, but you already know this is the case. They just try to skip past this. It's not only that illegal aliens in this country get special treatment from the media. It's also that the media expects that illegal aliens will be given special legal treatment too. That they shouldn't be held responsible the same way that others are for illegal acts because they've been put in a very difficult situation. You know, because law enforcement is hounding them. So the the forgeries they commit, the Social Security card uh, fraud that they commit, all these different things, you know, that's that's not their fault. That's our fault, you see, because we've put them in that situation. The media in this country and the Democratic Party with them don't just believe that illegal aliens should be allowed to stay. They think illegal aliens in this country should have extra rights over citizens. And that they deserve more attention and more sympathy. Illegal aliens are more deserving of sympathy than the media's fellow Americans. That's what they really believe. Otherwise, how do you explain this story? How do you explain that this was treated as an urgent matter for all of us to spend so much time on? It doesn't make any sense unless you put it in that context. Then all of a sudden it does. 844-900-2825, 844-900-2825. We've got a lot on the security clearance uh, poll fiasco today. Uh, We're going to be also free speech. Bill Maher, Jack Dorsey saying that Twitter does uh, discriminate in favor of leftist ideology. I mean, I I got a jam-packed show for all of you. So, uh, oh, and also the social justice mob dragged a friend of mine or a former classmate of mine, I should say. We'll get to that and more coming up. I want to bring up from 538, our friends at 538 have put out their first forecast for the midterm elections. And they say that Democrats have a three in four chance to win control. The House Republicans have a one in four chance uh, to keep control in the House. And, and Jason, that's a very qualified forecast right there. They're just saying this is, these are probabilities, not predictions uh, in, in any way. But this corresponds to what we're seeing from other experts. Sure. This, there's no red wave that the president oh, no. keeps talking about. <laughs> no, I think that's uh, wishful thinking on some part. 
Every factor seems to point that the Democrats are going to take the House. The president's low approval ratings, which are at the point where every president has lost the House when they've lost the House or lost one of their chapters. That was Dowd, who, uh, if I played you, he's an ABC analyst. If I played you his predictions from the Trump election, you would laugh really hard because everything he said at every point of that was pretty much wrong. Uh, but the whole panel there, notice, they're, they're all very dismissive. I just, a little trip down memory lane based on where the polling was two years ago, folks. Play it, John. Going into this night, where do we stand? This is where we stood coming into the night, 268 to 204, so clearly an advantage for Secretary Clinton. So right now we have Hillary's about a 75 or an 80% favorite. We have different versions that of the high. forecast you can look at. Paul has Hillary Clinton up by double digits nationally, 12 points, 50 to 38, four-way race. Clinton leading in Florida, Clinton leading in North Carolina, Clinton leading in Ohio, Clinton leading in Nevada. I could go on and on and on. They said basically this is the beginning of the end for Trump. The beginning of the end. The beginning of the end? This is probably starting of the beginning of the end for, for Donald Trump. Mr. Trump, to answer your call for political honesty, I just want to say you're not going to be president, all right? They're not popping the champagne corks just yet, but they probably are thinking about how good it might taste. Anderson, this night is turning out to be a real nail-biter. Donald Trump will carry the state of Florida. We are a major projection right now. Donald Trump will take Ohio. Pretty dramatic change in your forecast now. Well, it's not about our forecast. Well, my crystal ball's been shattered into atoms here because I predicted the exact opposite of what happened. Wolf, the scene here is so different than it was a few hours ago when people were happy and relaxed. I have been looking around the room at people who are stone-faced. Some of them have been crying. Everybody is crying and so <laughs> upset, and it is the end Everybody of is world. crying. It is a, a mourning moment for, for those people, uh, and it is a, it is a moment filled with fear. How do we explain how this is possible? How did this happen? Donald Trump will be the 45th president of the United States. Sorry to keep you waiting, complicated business. Folks, I got to tell you, man, that anytime I'm having a bad day, I just need to listen to that that whole that whole cycle again there. It's amazing, isn't it? Election night 2016. Wow. Incredible, incredible stuff, folks. It was incredible. Just just remember that while all the all the smug politicos, I'm not saying they're going to be wrong. I'm just saying their smugness has not in any way gone down since they were incredibly wrong about the last national election in the Trump era. So we'll see, folks. It ain't over until the lady sings. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. For these people that want to question why we do what we do, the first people that need to look in the mirror is Congress. Congress had had ability to fix this, and they didn't fix it. So the, the, the fault lies at their feet first. This is why he's a great president. He, he talks the talk and he walks the walk. I've been with the president on numerous town hall meetings where he meets with the frontline law enforcement folks, the folks that wear that Kevlar vest every day and enforce laws. You know, he stands shoulder to shoulder with him, and, and what he's doing is, is right for America. What he's doing is right for border security. And as far as these political pundits want to continue to vilify ICE officers, I find it 
I find it un-American that you would want to attack a law enforcement officer for merely doing their job, enforcing the laws that Congress enacted. I mean, what does this come to? I mean, I'm glad this is happening. I'm glad the left has finally shown that they want open borders. I, I think it's going to help. I, I think it's going to help in November. I really do. Totally agree with uh, Thomas Homan there, former uh, ICE director. Uh, he, he's, he's completely right. You know, the, the Democrats are exposing themselves for who they really are, and that's good. We should know. I, I want the American people to know. I want them to know that this is what Democrats are really all about. I want them to know that this is how Democrats view our customs and, and Border Patrol, view our immigration enforcement agents. And I think it might have a real impact in the midterms, you know, because the Democrats have, have deluded themselves into thinking that the country is with them on, on immigration. They run all these polls, you know. Do you think immigration's good for America? Do you, you know? None of that. None of that's really an issue here, folks. What is at issue is should the laws of this country be enforced? Why is it that the laws against you? This goes back to how the illegal aliens have special rights in the eyes of the media. Why should the laws against you be enforced without exception? Right. Why should Papadopoulos be facing six months in prison for a lie about a non-crime? But immigration offenses are not punished at all. Explain that to me. I can think of a, a whole a whole bunch of different offenses that have been in the media recently. You know, why should why should Manafort be facing decades in prison for not paying money on his taxes? Okay, tell him he has to pay the money and a fine. Decades in prison? Oh, Buck, the law is the law. Well, okay, the law is the law. Who who exactly suffers because Manafort hid this money? By the way, Michael Cohen is expected to be facing charges any moment now. I'm seeing the the wire hit just as we're on the show. Not for Russia collusion. Collusion? Who's collusion? Uh, but for a tax scheme involving taxis. A taxi tax scheme. Okay. Now, you may say, Buck, you know, everyone's got to pay their taxes. I agree. But should, should the sanctions really be that severe? Should people lose their freedom and go to prison for a tax issue? Because, and people would say to me, well, Buck, that's the law. I say, well, who's really suffered because of what they've done? Where's the victim? Oh, the victim is the government. And therefore, they say the victim is all of us. But is it really so severe? Well, what about being in this country illegally, accessing federal services illegally, engaging in forgery, engaging in document fraud, engaging in uh, you know, not filing a tax return and being in this country? Oh, that's right. They don't file tax returns, generally speaking, do they? And if they did, keep in mind, a lot of them would be getting payments from the government because a lot of illegal aliens don't make enough money to pay federal income taxes. But those laws don't get enforced. The law is the law until it's not with Democrats. That's one thing that we've seen, and certainly on immigration. And it's because they view it as a path to permanent power. That's what's so it's not about one election for Democrats. Amnesty and continued inflows of illegal aliens from developing and third world countries is all about power for the Democrat Party. It's just what it is. So we might as well call it out. I'm glad that former uh, ICE director Holman is willing to say it. And he also you notice how he how he attacked the political pundit class, too, which is something we all should be very comfortable doing at this point. Because they do. They run their mouths about this stuff. They act like they've got answers and they know they know what really should be done. And, you know, meanwhile, they're not honest about immigration. They don't know anything about immigration. And they won't debate the issue publicly. They've got people running around yelling, abolish ice, abolish ice, like a bunch of nincompoops, including sitting senators. I mean, Kirsten Gillibrand is saying that ICE should be abolished, too. This is a sitting senator. 
Who wants to eliminate a law enforcement agency that is absolutely necessary for this country? And what are we going to do? We're just going to, oh, that's right, we're going to go open borders. And that is in a, that that's an applause line for Democrats tells you a lot. But a lot of the Democrats' applause lines these days give you not just a window into their mindset, but really a window into their soul. The political pundit class, Holman clearly has some animus toward them. Here is a, I want to play this full exchange for you. This is from MSNBC, which you'll notice I, I tend to lay off MSNBC because everyone knows they're left. They're Democrats, right? It's a Democrat channel for, by, and of progressives. That's what it is. I think they're wrong about everything, but at least they're honest about who they are at some level. At some level. I mean, NBC's politics really aren't any different from MSNBC's, but maybe that's a conversation for another time. CNN I have a problem with because the whole, the whole thing is a fraud. It's dishonest. It's an anti-Trump channel. It's an anti-Republican channel now as well, because Trump and the Republican Party have become one. Uh, but here's a, uh, here's a pretty good example of what passes for analysis at MSNBC. Play 13. Again, this is the most vocal president, at least in real time, that we've had in recent memory, right? He is the leader of the free world. Oh, no, he's not. You're not the leader of the free world, but sorry. Well, by default, he's the leader of the free world. Angela Merkel's the leader of the free world, but... Well, he, he is the most important person in, in the world, in politics right now, and he is very vocal. And I do agree with you that this does express a level of exasperation among his aides. Wait, that just, they just, can't stop, just stop for one second. Any... Stop, stop for one second. Notice how this analyst, you know, he's, he's not the leader of the free world. This is like, he's not my president, not my president. This is the Trump derangement delusion. The leader of the free world is a title that we all give to the president of the United States. Okay. Angela Merkel is in no position to lead the free world. Angela Merkel was your, to, to borrow from, I think it was Ross Douthat in the New York Times. She was European far right nationalism's woman of the year in 2016. Her whole experiment of let's bring in a million people from the Muslim world who are refugees and see what happens did not work out well. In fact, in a lot of ways, Brexit and Trumpism are tied to the fiasco of Merkelism. Gutentag, yeah, Merkelism. It's so much fun to talk about the Merkel. But this analyst at MSNBC says that she's the leader of the free world. You know, this is... This is part of the mindset that they, they are picking another leader over, over ours. That, that They seem to believe that there are um, other people out there. Other countries now have stepped into this leadership role. That's not true. What is Germany doing to lead the free world? In what? I mean, G- Germany's got a lot of problems, by the way, uh, including what it's going to do about immigration, including what's going to happen uh, as a result of, of, some, of these, some of these policies. I mean, let, let me give you another example of this, by the way. Um, this is how the Washington Post writes about the throwdown between this country and Turkey. Remember, the Washington Post is a U.S. paper, folks. This is how they frame this issue. Erdogan, Erdogan is, of course, the, uh, the president of Turkey. Erdogan capitalizes on Trump's effort to break and isolate Turkey. And here's how they write about this. Quote, when President Trump tried to strong arm Turkey into releasing a detained American pastor this month, he gambled that a barrage of punishing measures market rattling economic sanctions, and humiliating public rebukes would force President Erdogan to quickly relent. That has not happened. More than three weeks after the crisis started, the pastor is still under house arrest, and Erdogan, for the moment, appears unbowed. 
Now, I know you can argue that that's a factual recitation of what's going on, or it's a factually accurate recitation. But that reads very much like, yeah, Erdogan, stand up to Trump, to me. That reads like they're rooting for a Turkish strongman, very much in the mold of Putin, who is, by the way, very pro-Hamas. And if we dug a little deeper, we'd find some really unsavory connections to the Islamic State, trust me, between the Turkish government and ISIS. That's already there. But the Washington Post is rooting for not our president because he's not because Trump is not their president. Not my president. Not I'll never forget those rallies in New York. I walked into one by accident. I was trying to get home. Not my president. Not. No, it's like, no, no. Inaccurate. He is, in fact, your president. But but John, please continue with that with that MSNBC panel because because it gets worse. Your are Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Your argument that he's not the leader of the free world because he's not because standing he's, up for democracy, he's right, not standing up for he, humanitarian yeah, he's, he's, he's rights. A, he's a sort of junior player in a block of authoritarian countries. And no, and the people like the European Union are no longer looking at him as a leader any longer. And they're thinking of, of course doing not. Thing. They see That's him as right. They see he's instead he's like, right. He's part of a block that includes Vladimir Putin, Duterte. He's, you know, he's kind of part so, of a he, he's part of kind of an axis. That's, power that's, of well, hold on. Yeah, that's worse. Yeah. It's, it's worse than that him, in a certain I mean, way. I mean, not that that's not the worst thing you could have said, because it's about <laughs> the worst thing you could say about him. But well, he's, he's not, not he's the leader rounding the people up and murdering, murdering them yeah. without any, uh, you know, yeah. due process. He certainly I mean, liked to. Uh, well, anyway. I, but, I, I don't yeah. think you can say that definitively, Michelle. Anyway, did, you, did you catch that? I know there was a lot of, like, a lot of, you know, chirping over each other there. But he would certainly, he would, that was a, a paid political analyst on TV saying that the current president of the United States would like to round people up and execute them. And they think that that's both insightful and funny to say on national TV. Uh, I, I don't remember anybody that anyone thought was even remotely intelligent saying that about Obama, that Obama was looking to round people up and execute them. No, nobody said that, because that's stupid, right? That's stupid, it's reckless, and there's no basis for it. But this passes for just kind of a casual, oh yeah, of course, you know, casual conversation over at MSNBC. This passes for just the way the way they talk about this this stuff all the time. Notice they also they put Trump in the same category as uh, Duterte in the Philippines and Vladimir Putin based on what? Because he because he pushes back on on media narratives. Our media is biased. They're in the tank for Democrats. Okay, that's just reality. They can cry about it all day, but they're a bunch of Democrat wannabe whiners, and we see it. We see it day in and day out. And so Trump pushes back. And now we're supposed to think that he's some evil dictator because of it? He hasn't jailed anyone. Fact. Obama was more dangerous to journalism than Trump was by a mile. But they won't tell you that. Right? Instead, they'll sit there and, and sneer and, and snicker and laugh at the notion that Trump is... They, they could Notice how they also they ran out of ways to say how bad he is. They couldn't come out, come up with a new pejorative for him. You know, oh, well, he's he's worse than, that's the worst thing you can say, but he's not even that bad. I mean, th- this is what they do. They try to one-up each other. You know, th- this is like a bunch of five-year-olds arguing about, you know, my dad can beat up your dad. I mean, this is just idiocy on display. That's how they do things. Um, speaking about MSNBC and things not being brilliant over there, uh, and situations being, uh, let's just say, uh, more humorous than intended. This one's amazing, folks. I, I want to play this for you. 
you know, the, the Reverend Al has had a show over at MSNBC for a, quite a long time. And those of us who grew up in New York City know that Al Sharpton is a charlatan and a hack and a, highly unethical. But uh, they, they give him a show at MSNBC anyway. He's had it for a long time. And he occasionally has prompter trouble. Occasionally has prompter trouble. And, uh, and this is how this went. Play, play the clip, please, from over the weekend. Speaking about, you know, Trump and Omarosa and he brings in Aretha Franklin. Play the clip. You know what they say about payback? It's a real, well, you, I'm sure you know the word I'm thinking of. So in the words of my late friend Aretha Franklin, show some R-E-S-P-I-C-T. R-E-S-P-I-C-T, folks. Oh, we don't have the rest of that clip, but he goes on after that. He doesn't correct it. R-E-S-P-I-C-T. That is what you need from me. R-E-S-P-I-C-T. Respect. I mean, I don't know. Reverend Al. I got to tell you, I'm pretty sure I knew that song in the third grade. I think it might be the song that I knew, you know, one of the first songs I could ever sing the words to. And I think that's true of probably all of you listening. Have you ever heard anyone misspell that before? Have you ever heard somebody misspell the name of that or the, the, uh, the word in that song? R-E-S-P-I-C-T. Suck it to me, suck it to me. R-E-S-P-I-C-T. Yeah. TV host, everybody, informing you about politics and life in America, courtesy of MSNBC, the Reverend Al. We'll be right back. In 1997, I was raped by Harvey Weinstein here at Cannes. I was 21 years old. This festival was his hunting ground. Harvey Weinstein will never be welcomed here ever again. He will live in disgrace, shunned by a film community that once embraced him and covered up for his crimes. And even tonight, sitting among you, There are those who still have to be held accountable for their conduct against women, for a behavior that does not belong in this industry, does not belong in any industry or workplace. You know who you are, but most importantly, we know who you are, and we're not going to allow you to get away with it any longer. So that's uh, Asia Argento, who is considered a leader up there with Rose McGowan of the Me Too movement. And that was her speech at Cannes, at the Cannes Film Festival, after the Harvey Weinstein revelations had come out. And as I said, she's, she's considered one of the most prominent voices on the Me Too movement about outing sexual harassers and getting justice for those who have been sexually assaulted, particularly in the, in the film and, and entertainment industry. And she's also the girlfriend of... Uh, of Anthony Bourdain, who killed himself earlier this year. And you just had the story break today. I, I, it's t- tough to know, really, uh, you know, it's just a shock that a, a young actor claims that she paid him off, that Asia Argento paid him off because she had sex with him when he was underage in the state of California. Now, California has an 18-year-old age of consent. He was 17, so he was, he was close to it, but he was underage. And that, you know, they they had, uh, you know, a sexual relationship and 
she paid him, according to this report, and the Hollywood Reporter, CNN is on the story too, a lot of places are reporting on this, paid him over $300,000 for his silence. I just, I got to tell you, I did not see this one coming. Did not see this as a, a possible a twist in this whole situation. It doesn't really change anything about the Me Too movement, but it just goes to show you that sometimes the loudest voices on an issue are ones that have their own demons that they're hiding. Very strange, very unsettling situation. Anyway, I'm going to think more about this one. I might have more on it later this week, but uh, we got Kim Strassel from the Wall Street Journal joining us to talk about Bruce Orr. That's coming up. The FBI says that home title theft is one of the fastest growing crimes out there. Brace yourselves, because having your credit card stolen is nothing compared to the hell you're in for once an identity thief takes control of your home's title. Everything is stored online these days, folks, including the title to your home. That means that the bad guys, domestic and international cyber thieves, they can actually hunt down your home's title and use it against you. I have seen a demonstration of this process. It is shockingly easy to steal your home's title. And once that happens, oh gosh, you're going to be getting all these bills coming to you for loans you didn't take out. It's a nightmare to deal with. Don't let it happen to you. For just pennies a day, Home Title Lock protects my most viable asset, my family's home. Register now for a free analysis and discover if your home's title has been compromised. That's a $60 value, folks. Totally free. Visit HomeTitleLock.com. Again, that's HomeTitleLock.com for your free analysis. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. Make, make no mistake. America. Ready. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. I think Bruce Orr is a disgrace. I suspect I'll be taking it away very quickly. I, I think that Bruce Orr is a disgrace with his wife, Nellie. For him to be in the Justice Department and to be doing what he did, that is a disgrace. That is disqualifying for Mueller. And Mr. Mueller has a lot of conflicts also, directly yourself, so you know that. Mr. Mueller is highly conflicted. In fact, uh, Comey is like his best friend. I could go into conflict after conflict. But sadly, Mr. Mueller is conflicted. But let him write his report. We did nothing. There's no collusion. But if he was doing an honest report, he'd write it on the other side. Because when you look at criminality and you look at problems, take a look at what they did, including colluding with the Russians, the other side. What was Bruce Orr doing? You remember Bruce Orr was, I think, number four at the Department of Justice and very much involved in the dossier, Russia collusion and all that stuff. His name has popped up a bunch. You'll remember his wife. Nellie Orr was actually an employee of Fusion GPS, which paid for and then manufactured uh, the dossier, sent, helped pay and send it around, right? All this stuff going on. So the big question is, what was Bruce Orr doing? And it is the one that our next guest addresses in her latest column. Kim Strassel is with us now. She's on the Wall Street Journal editorial board. She's a columnist, also the author of the uh, Intimidation Game. Kim, great to have you on. Thank you so much for joining. Uh, I just want to pose your question to you. So what the heck was Bruce doing? <laughs> hi, hi, Buck. Thanks for having me on. Um, 
Well, look, here's we know what he's doing. He was funneling information from Christopher Steele, uh, the obviously the author of the infamous dossier, from Christopher Steele to the FBI. And the reason that this matters is that the FBI had already terminated Christopher Steele as a confidential human source. He had broken all of the FBI's rules by talking to the press. And so they said, we can no longer work with you. And yet we now find that months after that happened, Bruce Orr, the senior member of the judiciary, is at, or is a, at the Justice Department is acting as an intermediary and, and sending information from Christopher Steele to the FBI. And he's doing that even though his wife works for uh, the same organization that Christopher Steele does. He obviously has a huge conflict of interest. Uh, he does not disclose this, at least not in his financial forms, and is, so far as we know, not to his superiors. Um, and so that's an issue as well, too. Now, this would seem to me to be a case, uh, Kim, where we would already have a lot of answers here. Why haven't why haven't we heard more about this guy? I mean, the, the conflict of interest just in, in that his his wife was uh, look, I think we can all assume that he was talking to his wife a lot. Right. They lived together uh, and, okay. and she she helped bring this information to him. H- how can the FBI justify any of this or do we just not know what the FBI really says about it? Well, they haven't even tried to justify it. And I think because it's unjustifiable, and this is an important point I tried to make in the column, is that up until now, the FBI has continued to insist it did nothing wrong during 2016, despite you know everything that we know about what they did do, about using the dossier, not telling the court entirely about the dossier, uh, running informants into a presidential campaign. I mean, these are things that I think should be very troubling to anyone, no matter what side of the aisle you're on. But throughout that, they have insisted did nothing wrong. This clearly is problematic, um, not just in terms of what Mr. Orr himself did uh, and the fact that he didn't disclose it, um, but that the FBI chose to use him. Because, again, remember, they, th- this informant program or source program that they had that Mr. Steele was part of that they were using, it's not some willy-nilly thing. It's got rules, guidelines, there's entire manual gathering you know, governing who can be an informant and a source for the FBI and what they need to do to maintain that status and what the agents handling them need to do. Um, And this was all disregarded, and the FBI went back to Bruce Orr uh, and and continued to obtain information from a, 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 a source that they had terminated for violating their own rules. What would happen here? What has to happen, Kim, for there to be accountability for how this was handled on the DOJ and FBI side? I, I mean, I, I put myself in this category. I think a lot of folks feel like we, just, you know, we, this just this just drags on. It drags on, and you know, yes, okay, Struck was Struck was fired. Uh, McCabe was fired. I mean, so, some people have clearly been fired. Are, are we ever going to get a comprehensive report on just what they did? I mean, the president's in power. He he should be able to direct the executive branch to produce the necessary documents, give us the information. Is it a function of waiting for the, the Mueller probe to end? I mean, essentially, is the pre- are the president's hands tied to try to get to the truth here and let the American people know what happened because anything that he does is going to be called meddling in the ongoing Mueller probe? What do you make of all that? Well, I think we can feel pretty confident that we are never going to get an internal house cleaning and a report and an admission of a problem from within DOJ or FBI. That is really, to me, very disappointing that you do have two new leaders there, Rod Rosenstein at the Department of Justice and Christopher Wray. Neither of them have shown an inkling of interest in saying, look, 
there is a problem here. We are looking into it. This is why so-and-so was fired. This is why so-and-so was moved out of their position. Because remember, nearly every part of that Comey inner circle has now either been fired or removed from their jobs or retired. Um, That is, to me, an admission that there was clearly a big problem and that internally they recognized it, but they have not come clean to the public. So the question then, I mean, we at the editorial page of the Wall Street Journal have been advocating every chance we have that the president uh, declassify many of these documents. It doesn't have to be a lot. There's a discrete number of them. Uh, We even went out and said, here are the ones that would provide the most information to the American public, Um, and at least to get that out there. And then, because I think the only other avenue we really have will be to wait for the inspector general's report, but that could be at least another year in coming. Now, Kim, I've got a theory I want to test out on you. And everybody, we're speaking to Kim Strassel, obviously of the Wall Street Journal. Her piece is, what was Bruce Orr doing? She tries to answer it, but the, uh, the, the short version is wasn't good. Uh, so, so you should definitely all check that out. But, Kim, here's my theory, because people have asked me this. They say, how is it that you have some of these individuals at FBI and DOJ who seem like, and I'm not talking about the ones that have already been fired or under suspicion, but, yeah, I mean, you know, you mentioned uh, Christopher Ray, for example, FBI director. How is it that these guys are also in on it? And I try to explain it to people this way. I think that if we really knew what happened at the top reaches of the DOJ and the FBI, I mean, if we really knew without, you know, the the games and the redactions, if the American people found out the truth, they would have a very hard time thinking of the FBI, the DOJ in the same way. And so even for those who are not necessarily anti-Trump or, you know, they weren't Hillary cronies, but people that are institutionalists that have spent a lot of time in those decades, in many cases, in those organizations, they feel like they have a duty to the greater good to protect those institutions from the, you know, the, the ire and the, the, the distrust for generations of the American people. What do you think about that? I think you've nailed it. This has long been my argument, too, that these folks are institutionalist. And I think part of it is what you describe, that they feel the need to protect the department or agency that they work for uh, to the extent that they are willing to overlook and even justify things that if they were on the outside, they would not. I think, too, it's also a bit of, and I, I use this word carefully, but, but cravenness in that you and I both know if you work in an institution and you are surrounded by people on all sides that are saying, no, what we did was okay, it was okay, it was okay, it's very hard to break from that pack to go and, and basically infuriate everybody who works for you and works with you and around you. And so I just don't think you have the, the test of leadership there. And remember, neither Rod Rosenstein nor Christopher Ray were necessarily chosen for those reasons. If you look at the rest of the Bush or Bush, the Trump cabinet, um, they were chosen as reformers, people who were going to come out inside and really shake things up. But Rod Rosenstein and Christopher Ray both came in under somewhat of a, a hurried and duress process um, where they weren't necessarily vetted because they were going to clean house. They were vetted as a, a safe choice that would be easily confirmable by the Senate in the middle of that entire rush that surrounded the whole supposed Russia scandal. Kim, just before we let you go here, uh, what do you think Mueller's motivation is? I know I'm kind of asking you to look into a man's mind. You know, nobody can do that. But 
Do, do you think do you think he's a partisan along the lines of some of these others that clearly I mean, anyone who tells me that Strzok or McCabe, that they aren't partisans, they didn't abuse their office. I just can't take that argument seriously anymore. Do you think Mueller just views it as he has to almost mechanically go through literally every nook and cranny of the investigation, just go through everything he can, uh, because that's the only way the American people will have faith in the system? Or do you think he's actually he, he's anti-Trump? I mean, do you think this is this is a witch hunt. He knows it and he's down for that. I think he's something almost as concerning as a partisan. He's a lawyer <laughs> and, you know, a, a prosecutor. And, and look, this is one of the problems with special counsels is nobody wants to go in and spend two years of their life and say, I didn't get anything in the end. Right. And and this is always the issue with a special counsel is that they do not feel as though they have done their duty or their job unless they come out of it having bagged someone, someone big preferably, because the field, that was their mission. Um, and, and we've seen that again and again and again. And so far, Mr. Mueller has done a pretty decent job of unraveling uh, what clearly was an effort by Russians to engage in some small-time disruption uh, and chaos sowing here in the United States, he, trolling on social media, uh, et cetera, and so on. It's great that he did that. But I don't think he necessarily ever viewed that really as his job. I think it's a noble job that he'd done that. But remember, he was more specifically tasked with looking into Mr. Trump and, and having come up completely short on that front in terms of collusion and obstruction of justice, it seems he's just not willing to let it go. Kim Strassel, everybody, of the Wall Street Journal editorial board, the one and only. Kim, thank you so much for making the time. Always great to have you stop by the Freedom Hut. Thank you. When you're hiring folks, when you're trying to bring new people into your organization, you know what's absolutely essential? That you can trust that the people that you're taking into your fold are who they say they are, that their backgrounds match up with all the things they've presented to you, and that you know that you're getting somebody who's passed all the necessary hurdles and checks that's why Global Verification Network is a partner that you should be working with. Global Verification Network is the only dual-certified, veteran-owned background investigation and vetting company. They're federally certified as a veteran-owned small business and headquartered here in Chicago with offices throughout the country. Their risk mitigation experts can work with startups all the way up to Fortune 100 companies. No data or client information is ever offshored. And as I said, folks, it's all done here in the States. Call 877-695-1179. That's 877-695-1179. Or go to mygvn.com. That's mygvn.com. And if you give them a call, tell them Buck sent you. I think John Brennan's actually a national security risk to the country, and we are safer because his uh, security clearance is gone. And the reason I say that is in 2012, he actually released information to other ex-CIA agents who went on TV and said, oh, we've got a double agent in Yemen. Well, at the time, there was a double agent in Yemen, and his life was put, his or her, I don't know who it was, their life was put at risk because of John Brennan's, you know, 
releasing information that he shouldn't have. John Brennan was also involved with illegally looking at uh, Democrats' computers who were investigating CIA torture and then lying about it before a committee. So John Brennan should have been fired for cause long ago, and he shouldn't be within a mile of classified information because he's a national security risk. He doesn't know how to keep his mouth shut. And now he's someone who's going out there saying the commander-in-chief is treasonous. I don't think I don't know how you can be in the chain of information if you're saying the commander-in-chief should be put to death for treason. So, yeah, John Brennan's way out there, absurdly out there, and needs to have no connection to government ever again. Rand Paul just making a whole lot of sense there, isn't he? Senator Rand Paul seems to get it. A lot of other people don't. Not only is it... Look, this is an exception. This is an outrage, folks. you got the former CIA director calling somebody, uh, you know, a, a traitor to the country. And it just so happens that person he's calling a traitor is the president of the United States. And then he goes through a lot of other reasons, particularly the, the Senate spying issue. Uh, and I think folks would say, yeah. This guy shouldn't have a clearance. You don't, is this really a surprise when you, when you think about how this guy, Brennan, was Obama's like chief terrorism advisor in the White House for a while? Okay, Obama thought Brennan was just the greatest. Do, do you look at the other people that Obama really trusted on national security? Susan Rice, Samantha Power. I mean, you, you go down this list of some of the folks that he wanted around him to advise him. Ben Rhodes, John Kerry. I mean... These are people that you think really have an understanding of what's going on. The, the, this is the A team. I don't think so. I don't think so at all. Uh, you know, and, and Trump is he's not backing down on this. And even though the, the media is trying to make this a huge deal. Oh, my gosh. They're making this such a big deal. Uh, Trump spoke about this earlier today. And uh, this is what he had to say about it. Play seven. Oh, actually, no, this is from even this is from over the weekend. Play 17. There's no silence. If anything, I'm giving him a bigger voice. Many people don't even know who he is, and now he has a bigger voice, and that's okay with me because I like taking on voices like that. I've never respected him. I've never had a lot of respect. And Senator Burr said it best. If you knew anything, why didn't you report it when you were before all of these committees, including their committee? So he had a chance to report. He never did. This was just came up lately, and it's a, it's a disgusting thing, frankly. This notion of silencing Brennan is is not to be taken seriously. It's not a real thing, folks. It's not anything that we should uh, be sitting around be worried about. He, he's not being silenced. Brennan is now more famous than ever. This is J- Brennan has become the Jim Acosta of the intelligence world. Oh my gosh, they're silencing me! Like, oh my, my, his his book deal will be bigger. His speaking fees are higher. Everything about Brennan's world right now is elevated because he's become a hashtag resistance figure and, and i i just think that it's it's you know we, we've had it we've had enough of the lies man that this notion that he's being silenced no one's silencing him they're just not giving him access to the nation's most sensitive information which he doesn't need and we don't need him to give you a sense of the kind of stuff that they say i mean here here's here's clapper on cnn play play eight the the values standards the institutions that that i and others uh, spent uh, the major part of our professional lives uh, defending and upholding are under assault by our very own president. That I really do wonder whether the Russians uh, have something on him. I really question uh, his uh, ability to, uh, his fitness to be in this office. And I also uh, am beginning to wonder 
uh, about uh, his, his motivation for it. What a great case officer uh, Vladimir Putin is. He knows how to handle uh, an asset, and that's what he's doing with the president. Okay, I mean, handling an asset, folks. Saying that the president of the United States is effectively under foreign government control. That's the former director of national intelligence. Does he provide any evidence for this? No, but you see, that's what's so weaselly about the whole thing. Is that they, they create the assumption that they must have information, they must have access to things that, you know, we don't have, but they're the ones who really know the truth. They're the intelligence community chiefs, or were. Also, don't forget this. This is, this is Clapper. When asked a question about whether or not there's any mass collection going on, play clip nine. Does the NSA collect any type of data at all on millions or hundreds of millions of Americans? No, sir. It does not. Not wittingly. There are cases where they could inadvertently perhaps uh, collect, but not not wittingly. So that's a lie, as we all know. That was before Congress. Why is that? You know, we've got all these people that are saying, oh, my gosh, you know, Trump, he can't speak to he can't speak to Mueller because he's going to get caught in a lie. Well, other people lie and it's not a big deal. Other people lie and it's apparently no problem in front of Congress, which is the same, legally speaking, as as being under, uh, you know, as being under oath in a court. So why is there no issue here? See, folks. They don't have any standards, so they try to use our standards against us. And in the era of Trump, we've decided to stop letting that be the game that they play. We've had enough. And uh, these former intelligence chiefs who are out there making this case to the American people are doing so in a way that is deeply damaging to the reputation of the intelligence community, uh, to our ability, I think, to have a a commander-in-chief who can trust the intelligence chiefs going forward. And they're doing it all because of Trump derangement syndrome, because these are not normal criticisms. These are not healthy minds that are thinking this stuff about the president. We'll be right back. He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. You said if Mueller doesn't get this done in two or three weeks, basically referring to September 1st, we will just unload on him like a ton of bricks. What, is yes, that, what does that mean? For interfering with the election when he had no uh, reason to do that because he could have gotten this done earlier. The person who's delayed here But what are you going to do? What is Mueller, not Is us. the president going to fire him? No, is the president we're not going to fire him. We're going to point out to the public. We're going to point out to the public how he has acted improperly, and he's now violating a Justice Department rule so keep- about not carrying on an investigation. That's not the rule. 60 days of it's about election. issuing indictments and things like that. He can go No, dark. it's about carrying he on can a go public... Dark. In- it is not. It's about carrying on a public investigation. If he has to issue a subpoena during that period of time, it would be a gross interference in the election when he could have issued the subpoena six months, uh, six so months that- before, three months before. And when you tell me that, you know, he should testify because he's going to tell the truth. Pause that for a minute. Pause that. I I want to jump in here for a second. We're we're about to, folks, we're about to get into the big exchange from over the weekend where everybody was all upset. You know, oh, my gosh, look what Rudy said now. Oh, the media running all these headlines. Let me just note that, you know, you got Rudy and Chuck Todd here on whatever show, NBC. I I never I don't watch the Sunday shows because 
I do my own research on Sundays and I don't need some clowns to tell me what the political stories are for the week. Uh, but, you know, no, no, notice how this whole thing, the Mueller probe and all this, this got started because of election interference. That's what they said. Right. That's what. And then election interference led to the obstruction and then all this other stuff. But what, what we see here is that the same people who were so worried about election interference are now the ones who are justifying election interference. Right. The, the, the same people who are saying, oh, my gosh, the Russians, it'll, the Russians are getting on our stuff. N- now, when Mueller may be continuing this probe in a way that's clearly going to affect the mindset of voters, that's clearly going to affect people. As they're going into the polls, if you're not somebody who understands the full scope of what's going on here, if, you're, if you pay attention to the media, if you trust the mainstream media for your facts on what's going on here, you're going to think, oh, my gosh, the president of the United States still under this active investigation. This is so terrible. And uh, m- maybe I should vote for the party that is not the president's party. Right? I know Trump is not on the ballot, but as everyone knows, in a midterm like this, of course, the president and his party together are on the ballot. Everybody knows that. Everybody understands that. So, but but the election interference narrative has now got us to a point where people are pushing for election interference who were so worried about election interference before. And this is the great irony of the situation. But th- then we get into this other this other component here about truth is truth. Play clip 12. And when you tell me that, you know, he should testify because he's going to tell the truth and he shouldn't worry. Well, that's so silly because it's somebody's version of the truth, not the truth. He didn't have a, a conversation. Truth is about, truth. I, I don't mean to go like. I, no, I it isn't truth. Truth isn't truth. The president of the United States says I didn't. Truth isn't I, truth. Mr. Mayor, do you realize what I, I no, I, no, no, this I, is going to become a wait, bad don't, don't, do, don't do don't do this to me. Don't do uh, truth. Donald truth Trump. To me. Donald Trump says, I didn't talk about Flynn with Comey. Comey says, you did talk about it. So tell me what the truth is. Don McGahn, uh, if you're such a genius. You know, that, that's exactly the point that, that, they, they see, that they would seize on this and make a meme of it. And they did, right? Truth isn't truth. Yeah, well, that, that's a funny phrase now because they're all saying Trump lies so much and there's all these liars around and everything else. Uh, meanwhile, what he's saying is something that liberals pretend to forget now because it's convenient for them. And, and it's the following that, that you could tell the truth and still go to prison or you could tell the truth and still be uh, treated as a liar in the courts or, or by the FBI. This should not be surprising to liberals. Liberals are supposed to be the ones, folks. They're supposed to be. I know they're not. They're supposed to be the ones who are worried about, oh, uh, false arrest, uh, about implicit racial bias in arrest. Liberals are always telling us that police are unjust, that the justice system makes mistakes, that the justice system is biased, and and they're always so worried about procedure to protect defendants. But what we see is that's really only applicable for liberals when they think the defendant is a member of a protected class. That's really what they're worried about. Identity politics, as it intersects with the, intersects with the justice system, that's what really matters to them. The principle of a far too powerful uh, executive branch or a far too powerful prosecutorial wing of the executive government, that doesn't really seem to bother them. I, I'm sorry, I refuse to believe that General Flynn, who is the Defense Intelligence Agency director and a three-star general, okay, I refuse to believe that he just lied about a meeting with some FBI agents for no reason for, and it was no big deal 
because uh, he didn't know any better or because he just felt like it. No, they set him up, meaning that he thought he was just having an off-the-cuff conversation and said something that they could then later on manufacture as factually inaccurate. There, there's a reason why people don't want to have to sit in a federal trial and defend themselves. There's a reason why they don't want to have these interactions with the government. Liberals used to know that stuff, but they have very conveniently forgotten it now. And so that's why they they run with this whole truth isn't truth. Look what he said. Truth isn't truth. Truth isn't truth. Well, yes, when when you have a jury that's going to always give much more weight to what the what the government says, especially the federal government. It's unfortunate, but it's true uh, in these matters. When you have a jury that's going to hear from the government one thing, and then you're going to present it with another. You know, when you have uh, a, a Trump administration that has been just beset with media stories of all kinds about how uh, they're lying and they're so bad and they're so terrible, then yeah, you could tell the truth if you're the president of the United States and the DOJ could jam you up anyway. So, you know, th- this isn't really that complicated. This isn't really that... Uh, that, 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 that insane, but, but they ran with the story because it's useful to them, folks. That This is the new, the new narrative, uh, under the Trump administration at least, is that Republicans don't care at all about facts and don't care at all about truth, uh, when what's actually going on is that we care about what matters, care about how the country's doing, what the policies are, and we understand the context of this fight. You know, I just feel like we've all gotten tired after a while of one of the left's favorite games, which is always holding us to the the uh, holding us up to live by rules and we have to be perfect or else they exaggerate every transgression every mishap right when a conservative messes up they magnify it times 10 when a conservative makes a mistake it's the end of the world and with their side they're always ignoring it they don't cover it or they soft pedal it or they and we're all sick of it we won't play their game anymore and that's why they're freaking out so much that's why they, they can't bring themselves to just have a, a normal conversation about any of this now. That's just why Trump derangement syndrome is a true psychological pandemic and why they would pick out of this thing, truth isn't truth. I know it's a catchy headline. I know a lot of different media outlets went with it. But when you listen to the context, it's clear what Giuliani was saying, which is, yeah, that's right. Mueller is on a witch hunt and he is trying to take down the president of the United States, even if he tells the truth. have been more outspoken than really any former official. Uh, and in fact, it may be why many Republican legislatures feel comfortable taking the president's side. They believe your comments have been over the top. Do you regret essentially accusing the president of treason? Do you, do you regret some of the things you have said? Uh, I called his behavior treasonous, which is to betray one's trust and to aid and abet the enemy. And I stand very much by that uh, claim. You are the former CIA director accusing the sitting president of the United States. It's not a private citizen. A lot of people hear the former CIA director accusing the sitting president of the United States of treason. That's 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 a monumental accusation. It is indeed a monumental accusation. I got to say, I give Chuck Todd some credit for at least being willing to say that. I mean, this is not normal stuff, folks. And I think that's where uh, a lot of us have finally just departed from this crazy game that, you know, the, the anti-Trumpers want to play. When you have the former CIA director 
out there uh, claiming that the president of the United States, the, the sitting president of the United States, committed treason. I mean, that has really negative ramifications. I think it's so interesting that you'll hear all the time from these different journalists and the anti-Trumpers that Trump is undermining institutions. When you have the, the spy chief of the last administration that was a Democrat administration, the opposition to the current one, saying that the president is a traitor, uh, that is incredibly undermining. Uh, but this, this interview continues on, and, and Brennan, who I think has had some kind of break with reality, I mean, I, I, there's something wrong with him, uh, Brennan goes into some more detail about his position. Uh, well, I think these are abnormal times, and I think a lot of people have, have spoken out against what Mr. Trump has done, and maybe it's my, my warning training as an intelligence professional. I have seen the lights blinking red in terms of what Mr. Trump has done and is doing, and is bringing this country down on the global stage, and he's fueling and feeding divisiveness within our country. He uh, continually lies to the American people, and the types of things that he's doing, I think I need to speak out. And so I've been speaking out rather forcefully because I believe it's important to do so. Uh, I don't believe I'm being political at all. I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. Yes, he's not being political. He's just being crazy. That's what the former CIA director is doing. He is acting like a person who has real problems and real trouble. Look, folks, I, I wrote about this on uh, thehill.com today. A piece actually created quite a spirited discussion in the comments, and I, I got pushback, and people are mad at me. Because there's always this assumption, I think, that because I worked for the CIA, that I, I must have some affinity for the intelligence uh, agencies and, and for federal bureaucracy. And I have to try to tell people, no, because I actually understand these places, I have very different opinions than most journalists do. I, I am not an institutionalist when it comes to these, these uh, organizations. I view them as sometimes doing good stuff, sometimes doing bad stuff. Sometimes they need correction, sometimes they need praise. But Brennan, I got to tell you, uh, Brennan is someone who, and please do, by the way, go read the article. It's on facebook.com slash bucksexton or thehill.com. Uh, appreciate when all of you get a chance to read it. it. went up today. And I mean, I just say, look, the spy chiefs are causing long-term damage to the spy agencies, the former spy chiefs, uh, because they're going to make it so that any incoming administration is going to think, who appointed that, that CIA director? Do I need to get rid of him right away? Yeah, sometimes people, you know, CIA directors and others in the intel community come and go pretty quickly, but they don't always. And it's also a question of some of the other uh, senior level folks. You know, if you worked in the White House and then you became you know, a top person at the NSA or top person at the State Department or wherever, does the next administration have to worry about you? I think the answer now is obviously yes. But I want to dig into Brennan for a moment here because I think that he, everyone I know who has worked with him, and there are a lot of people that I know who have spent time uh, with Brennan, who know him personally, who, believe it or not, generally say very good things about him as a, as a, as a guy, as, as somebody that they would be around. They seem to like him. Um, so I, I have a hard time believing that he's just entirely, uh, ha that he's had some kind of a breakdown. I mean, that's, that's possible, but I don't see that as the most likely outcome here. I, I think a better guess of what's going on is that Brennan realizes that it's probably only a matter of time before the full extent of what he did to try and 
create this Russia collusion trap for the administration or, or try to, I mean, see, the, the problem is, folks, it's almost like a, a police officer who, who's so certain, so certain that a, a, an administ- or a person is guilty that they plant evidence. And what happens to a cop who plants evidence because they're so sure that this is the guilty party and then all of a sudden it starts to look like they're not the guilty party? Well, for a lot of unethical people out there, they'd say, well, it's just a matter of collecting more evidence, but they would double down on the necessity of that, right? They'd want to believe that their actions, they were just trying to get the bad guy and they know they know that person's bad. They believe in their heart that person's bad. And that's, I think, where Brennan is. I, I, I believe that he was worried that Trump was a, a danger, a threat to the country. I think that he really was of that mindset. And now that the information's actually coming out, now that we're getting a better sense of what really happened, it's becoming clear that he jumped the gun. It's becoming clear that uh, he was not, in fact, uh, on, he had not unearthed or helped unearth this massive conspiracy with the Trump campaign to throw an election. No. In fact, what, what happened is uh, that a bunch of Russian Facebook trolls and some other uncorrelated events came together at a time when the Trump administration was beating all of the political wisdom, destroying the consensus opinions, and the establishment was in an utter panic. And they were looking for a scapegoat. And this became the perfect scapegoat that Russia had helped Trump win. But Brennan is not in, he's not in normal terms here, nor are uh, Clapper and Comey and Hayden. I, I think I'm going to get a chance to sit down with former CIA director Michael. He's also former NSA director Michael Hayden later this week here in D.C. Again, the benefits of being a swamp creature is I get to actually interview all these people now and and run sources all over the city, and I get to learn a lot of interesting stuff, which I then can tell you. But I worked for Mike, as I've told you before, and I thought Mike was pretty squared away, and I really want to ask him, what has happened here? You know, you, you heard it in, in Brennan's thing about, you know, I, I, I've had warning training, and I'm a warning training intelligence officer. Well, I had intelligence officer training, too, and at this point, we would we would think that this person, if Brennan were a source, I would think he was making stuff up. I would think that he was fabricating information to tell the American public what they what he thought they wanted to hear. Um, and, and I can't help but feel like there's some of these other people that are involved with Brennan that are all catching his back right now. They're saying, oh, how dare you threaten to take Brennan's clearance? Well, where are they when Brennan is yelling about how the president of the United States is a traitor? Where are they on that? Why don't we get to hear more about that? Now, if they're so concerned about the future and fate of the country, you would think that they might want to tell tell uh, for the former CIA director to chill out just a little bit. Uh, Clapper over the weekend said something like, he muttered something, because Clapper likes to mutter, uh, about how Brennan needs to, you know, probably tone it down a little bit. But he needs to tone it down a lot, folks. He needs to tone it down a whole heck of a lot. And uh, what we're seeing is there's a desperation here. A desperation to justify, after the fact, actions that were taken uh, in a in a frenzy of anxiety at the top level of the Obama administration. That's right, it was under Obama's watch. These are executive branch officials. Do not forget that. And now they're using the bully pulpit. Now they're using you know TV appearances and books to try and create a narrative where they won't look like the villains in the end. But I have to tell you, I think that Brennan and all the rest of the deep staters are going to look like the villains. 
Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. president continues to do this and i hope he adds amorosa to the list because if she has a clearance she too because of her actions uh should have it revoked well i don't know if i'd put amorosa in the same category of the 75 people who signed those letters but phil mudd i imagine you want to react profitable paris when i am requested to sit on an advisory board let me ask you one question how much do you think i'm paid to do that at the request of the u.s government give me one answer and you got 10 seconds how much I'll give. I'll ask you a question. How much are you paid for your answer the question. contracting gig for for being a? For being I have a no contracts with the U.S. government that pay money. I'm not ta- zero. And this is the thing. When I'm, I'm not talking when I'm about asked the to offer advice to the U.S. government, Phil, I get paid zero. Phil, let's be That's honest. It. I'm not talking about. <laughs> there you go. CNN, everyone. That's how things go over there at the uh, the the global leader in cable news. So th- there you had a, a former. Uh, former CIA uh, senior executive Phil Mudd and a and, and Paris Denard, who I think he's, he's a Trump supporter who goes on CNN, one of the very, very few. And they're arguing over the security clearance thing. And you'll notice that that Phil Mudd sounds really upset over this and made this very personal. And I can tell, you know, because because the news today is that there are more people who are joining Brennan's clearance crusade here, right? There's there's even a, a greater number, I think 165 people. And Mike Hayden has added his name to the list. And, you know, a lot of people, a lot of normal Americans look at this and say to themselves, hold, hold on a second. Why am I supposed to care about Brennan losing his clearance? Brennan no longer works for the government. I mean, that's one part of this that no one seems willing to give me a straight answer on, which is why has this become the thing that the national security establishment is rallying around. You have on the one hand, as I've been discussing with you, people claiming the president of the United States is a traitor, okay? And including former intelligence agency heads who the general public understandably thinks must have some inside track on the president's treason. They're silent on that. But when it comes to Brennan's clearance, we're supposed to think that this is how, you know, the, the American people on every water tower across the country, there are all these different, you know, there are all these different uh, posters and, and, and placards that are being put up about Brennan's clearance, you know, in small towns across America. Give Brennan back his clearance. We don't care. I don't care. You know, I asked the former CIA uh, public affairs director, I forget what his specific title was, but a former CIA executive today sat on my show here in D.C. I said, you know, can, can't you just give the guy's clearance back if you really want to if you really want to reinstate him? If the government wants to bring Brennan in, you know what? They can reinstate his clearance. If President Trump was like, oh, my gosh, we desperately need John Brennan's advice on this one, then they could bring him in. The next administration could bring him in. And, and people who are saying, oh, this is so politicized. What I want to say is, yeah, but this is an extreme situation. Brennan is the extreme here. Well, what he's doing is unethical, folks. He is undermining the commander-in-chief of this country and using the perception of his 
super user access to classified information to do it. And so the president's like, well, no more classified for you. By the way, it is so interesting how upset these guys all get, including Phil Moe, when you talk about how, you know, we don't necessarily need their clearance. The intelligence community is vast. There are so many people working on all these issues. I, I, I can't think of a situation where we would have been at a loss. You know, they do, they do outgoing briefings and for the in, you know, incoming team, if there's a new CIA director. I mean, of course, all that bureaucratic stuff happens. I can't even fathom a situation where this would be necessary. I can't even think of it. And they're acting like, oh, well, I'm not saying that doesn't mean it can happen. Yeah, I'm sure they bring in former people. And, but generally speaking, let me tell you something. The former director doesn't really necessarily like want to have that much of the, uh, or rather the current director doesn't want to have that much of the former director poking around and telling him what to do. Trust me on that one. But this is just, again, the, the outrage machinery exhausts itself here. I, I, we don't really care. I don't really care. You don't really care. It's one guy who does not have a constitutional right to have a top-level security clearance. And he's going around on TV being a maniac. By the way, everybody that I know in the business, and I know a lot of people, think that Brennan has not just been saying things that are irresponsible, but has been crossing the line here and talking to the press about things he's not supposed to. Now, that's not on the record yet. We don't know. But I'm, I'm, if I'm placing bets, my friends, I think it's just a matter of time before we do find that out. But oh, by the way, it actually gets a little bit crazier here between Denard and uh, Paris Denard and Phil Mudd over at CNN. Uh, it, it, it devolves, folks. Get ready for it. Here it comes. Your role with the federal government. I'm talking about oh, the who contracting are you talking gigs about? that are you, you get about from General being a consultant and a contractor. The consulting firms that they form and that you all get is because you get more money when having a consultant before having the security clearance. That Stop acting incorrect. like that doesn't happen. I have that's zero consulting relationships with the U.S. government. Zero. I'm not talking, Phil, that's a good talking point. I'm not talking about relationships with the government. I'm talking about in the private sector. When you have a security clearance have and you Zero relationships with the private sector that involve my security clearance. Zero. Who says that we're talking about Phil Mudd and, and his contracts? We're talking about, you know, not we, but, but Paris Denard is actually talking about, in general, security clearances. This is just true, folks. You are worth more as a private sector contractor who works on government contracts if you have a clearance than if you don't. This Everybody knows this. I don't know why Phil Mudd is acting like this is all about him, but he goes even further. I get well, zero dollars from consulting companies that deal with the U.S. government. Are we clear? Well, I will be clear in saying that everybody in Washington, D.C. knows if you don't want to be honest about it, that's on you. But if you have a security clearance and you keep it, you We're get done, more Jim. money to We're have We're done. It. Get out. Phil, it's not your show. So I'm saying right here this, about this. Get out. Don't Boy. be so defensive about this. <laughs> I mean, we, we had to actually edit it out. Phil Mudd there, CNN's. Paid uh, on-air analyst was was dropping dropped an s bomb there at the end. That that's how crazy this whole thing made him. Uh, and you have to wonder, folks. It, you know what what could push people to take this so personally? You, you'll notice in the in the era of Trump, this is a, a constant theme that any, anything that is Trump related gets the the anti-Trumpers thinking about it in terms of how it affects them. You know, it's like, oh, how dare you say this thing about me? No one said anything about Phil Mudd. Uh, Paris Denard didn't say anything about Phil Mudd. I'm not saying anything about, well, I'm making fun of him freaking out on, on CNN. But, you know, the, one of the other problems here is that the crazier you get on air, and this is true of a lot of anti-Trumpers out there, the crazier you get on air, 
And the more extreme the articles you write and the more outrageous the allegations you make against this president, the more the uh, the left praises you. You know, the, the, the more they think that you're actually a real hero for the cause, that, you, that you're somebody who's really committed, that you're trying to do the work. You know, you're trying to take down this presidency. You're, you're trying to be the one that makes sure that you know, the, the American people are safe from the tyranny of Trumpism. But the clearance issue has been, it's been known for a long time. One of the problems the federal government has had, stretching back to my time in the federal government, is people who take a government job and then jump ship and they keep that clearance work that's done in their background and then they monetize it in the private sector and go back and work on a government contract somewhere. This, this is just, these are facts. This is not someone's opinion. That's what happens. So for Phil Mudd to act like this is some you know, terrible slight, some insult against him and, and his family and everything else, or, well, he didn't say his family, but you know what I mean, to act like this is some blood feud is just crazy. But, you know, I, I, I'm running out of, of adjectives to describe the way Democrats react to Trump on TV now. I mean, I'm running out of ways to talk about this. I've described it as pathological. I've described it as really a, as an illness. I think we're there. Uh, you know, this is this is not a, a normal time in American politics at all. It's not just that things are are partisan and nasty. It's that you, you you can't even engage on the middle ground of, hey, let's at least keep some decorum here. And by the way, to go on CNN and just start cursing, you know, by the, he's not going to get suspended for that. He's not going to get talked to for that. You know, I get yelled at if I ever talked when David Gergen, David Gergen was uh, talking about Nixon and Reagan and Ford. and You know, if I said anything and, and there was any crosstalk with gurgling with Gergen back in my CNN days, they'd pull me aside and, and give me a, a timeout, you know, make me wear the dunce cap in the corner by myself. Uh, but you, if you're trashing a Trump person, you can pretty much do anything. You know, and they'll just they'll just let you go. By the way, that's why I would never that's why I wouldn't go on CNN now. I mean, you know, Paris will handle it. Good for him. But I have no interest because they have no interest in having a real conversation because CNN decided to go to war against this president. Don't ever forget that. That was reported. And I know who actually got that initial information. And it's real. CNN said that they were going to war against the president. All right. That was a thing that was said and overheard in the vicinity of the head of CNN, Jeff Zucker. They have gone to war against this president and they are losing. I know it can be tempting to get sucked in by the latest matcha green foam soy latte nonsense. But folks, if you want to drink all American coffee from an all American coffee company, you've only got one answer, one choice out there. Black Rifle Coffee. I drink Black Rifle every day. In fact, I've been converting as many folks as I can at the hill.com. You know all it takes? I give them one K-cup of Black Rifle Coffee and then they can do a taste test with anything else we've got in the office. We've got all kinds of stuff in there. Lots of commie coffee. You know what, folks? They all prefer Black Rifle. It just tastes better. And this is a company founded and operated by veterans. They're great guys. They're patriots. And they're building a great American brand. Visit BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck. Receive 15% off your order. That's BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck for 15% off. Folks, join the coffee or die revolution. Black riflecoffee.com slash buck they've got gear there and all kinds of coffee check it out for yourself (laughs) 
Alex Jones, uh, who is not my friend and who tells crazy lies about me, uh, is uh, thrown off Twitter, I think, and Facebook and a few other platforms. I think he's going to... Thank God! Uh, Well... If you're a liberal, you're supposed to be for free speech. That's free speech for the free speech, speech you hate. That's what free speech means. We're losing the thread of the concepts that are important to this country. If you care about the real American, or you don't. And if you do, it goes for every side. I don't like Alex Jones, but Alex Jones gets to speak. Everybody gets to speak. You know, I don't really like Alex Jones either. <laughs> so, And from what I understand, he doesn't really like me. This is from allaccess.com. Ten questions for Buck Sexton. I never even knew who this guy was when I saw him, but I said, that guy is a government agent. The secure look, the satisfied look. So let's put aside for a second that Alex Jones is a crazy person who is completely unethical in his analysis and says things that are both uh, deeply laughable and deeply destructive at the same time, and that he made fun of my hair, which is a crime that will always be unforgivable. He is currently at the centerpiece of a national discussion over censorship. And that's where I want to go back to this clip. This exchange with Bill Maher was was pretty astonishing here. Uh, First of all, you had uh, Granholm, Jennifer Granholm, whom I've debated once or twice before. She was the uh, was the, the governor of and she's a Democrat governor of Michigan. Oh, my gosh. Michigan, you made Jennifer Granholm your governor. What the heck is wrong with you guys? Anyway, you, you saw the you saw that exchange, and she goes, "Yes, Alex Jones. He he's silenced." And Bill Maher, who has made his whole life essentially making jokes and often offending people, is like, "No, liberals, you're not supposed to do this. You're not supposed to be the ones cheering." Uh, anyone getting completely shut down and banned from the public square because of speech. And I know people keep saying uh, they keep bringing up all the time that Twitter and Facebook and these are private companies. Well, first of all, as liberals will tell you, private companies are regulated in all kinds of ways. So the national conversation about what private companies that are as large and powerful as Facebook and Twitter, uh, how that conversation goes can affect the legislation and the regulation of what's going on here. Are they treated as utilities? Will people try to break them up and say that they are uh, monopolies? Although I think, if nothing else, what we've seen here is that there's uh, a a chink in the armor of some of these social media platforms now. They're no longer considered to be quite as invulnerable because if half if half of the people that are on these platforms, at least in America feel like they are being targeted for their ideas, there's certainly an alternative or there, there could be an alternative out there. Uh, so I, I do think that there are long-term implications for how these social media companies will do and, and how they will function. But notice how Moore has to slap down Granholm's stupidity there for a second because it's supposed to be the liberals who are the ones who want free speech. It's supposed to be, this is what is part of the law, right? Although that's never really been true. They want free speech when it suits them, and they've always been pushing for hate speech laws. And and you know, in in for in my lifetime at least, I mean, I won't pretend to know what things were like from the '60s through the through the '80s, but starting from as long as far back as I can remember, liberals are the ones who want the government to be in a position of authority to shut down the speech that they 
do not like. And this is a big change for them. I mean, culturally, they now have to deal with the fact that they are no longer a party that's all about the Berkeley free speech movement. And with this deplatforming effort and speech equals violence and all these different uh, constructs that they've come up with to try and limit speech that they don't like, it's increasingly clear that liberals are embracing a really embracing a, a really authoritarian approach on these issues. And they no longer are a part. That's why I hate calling them liberals. They are anti-liberty. They're, it's a misnomer to call them liberals. It, it, it's really incorrect. Uh, you could say they are progressives. They're socialists, really. You know, we, we don't like to say this. We don't like to talk about it. But you could say they're democratic socialists. But this is really what the Democratic Party in this country has become. And, you know, that they like to just constantly change the language and, and hide from the truth. But what do they want? More government, higher taxes, government in, in control of businesses, government in control of, of the day-to-day operations via regulation and, and massive taxation, an enormous safety net, right? These are socialist ideas. So why can't they just be honest about it? No, we have to call them Democrats because... What they believe in, they believe in democracy and we don't. Is that really what the idea is supposed to be here? Uh, So much dishonesty in the uh, modern Democratic Party's philosophy, but that's not going to change anytime soon. So I'm not even sure how helpful it is for us to bemoan that. But I, I did what really struck me there was that initially you had the cheering for, yeah, Alex Jones is gone. Bill Maher, who on some issues is is horrendous, but on free speech and on Islam, he's pretty good. Bill Maher has to say to her, what are you doing cheering for censorship? You know, the liberals are the ones, folks, who say that pornography is free expression. The liberals are the ones who have been saying for a long time that, you know, a a crucifix in urine as a as a taxpayer funded art exhibit. You know, that can't be censored. I mean, they're the ones who are always saying no rules, no rules. Offensiveness against Christianity is fine. Be as blasphemous as you want. Do whatever. You know, that's been their position. But now when it comes to some of their favored groups or when it comes to issues where they feel like they have an increasing amount of power, they're just embracing censorship. I mean, they are embracing it under these different rubrics. They're calling it deplatforming or, they'll, you know, they'll call it something else. Right. They'll say that conversational health to borrow from the Twitter CEO, Jack Dorsey. But the, the truth is that they are abandoning something that for a long time they held to be central to their ideological identity. Whether it was true or not, it's a separate issue. And I would say to you that it's untrue, but they are now openly just advocating for things that we don't like, people should not be allowed to say and should be punished for saying by private companies and in the public square. And it's a very small step for that to turn into government regulation. And by the way, they're already doing that. I mean, when you look at the way the laws are currently uh, set up or the way some of these government bodies are set up, they are also trying to censor via the government. Don't forget that. I mean, they're, they've gone back to the guy who didn't want to bake a gay wedding cake and try to make him bake a cake of Satan with a, a sex toy on it. I mean, you know, the, and, they, and the, Cal, uh, the Colorado Civil Rights or Human Rights Commission is going after the guy. So they are... Little petty authoritarians when it comes to speech. And that's really who Democrats have become. And I think Bill Maher maybe has realized this a little late in the game, but he's not about to change this anytime soon. That's who the Democrats 
have become. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. So I gathered with one of my conservative friends here in D.C. over the weekend, a buddy of mine. We got, uh, you know, drinks and dinner. Uh, Miss Molly was away at a bachelorette party, which is apparently a thing where a bunch of young women all get together and do bachelorette things. I don't even know what that really means. But he asked me about uh, whether I knew what happened to Colin Jost. And I said, no, what are you talking about? Because he didn't know this. But as I mentioned to you before, Colin, who is the weekend update anchor for Saturday Night Live, was my high school classmate and uh, also on my debate team and is now mo- was on my debate team and is now most famous for being the uh, accoutrement of Scarlett Johansson. I mean, he is uh, dating Scarlett Johansson right now. But I had no idea that there was some controversy with with Colin, uh, whom I haven't seen. I, I bumped into him on the street maybe a year or two ago. I haven't seen him. And I think SNL is a terrible and deeply unfunny show. So it's probably best that we don't talk about that very much. But Colin did say some stuff in response to it. Well, he was interviewed. He was interviewed because he's going to be hosting the Emmys with Michael Che, who is his co-host on Weekend Update. And I it was a you know, they had the it was a transcribed interview. And in response to one of the questions, Colin said this. I think most of the time award shows are way too self-serious and focused on things that 99 percent of the country doesn't care about. Uh, this is to The Los Angeles Times. At the end of the day, it's adults getting trophies. Why should that be taken seriously? I, I, by the way, I completely agree with Colin on this. I think he I think he couldn't be more correct. I think it is. The whole thing is ridiculous. And I'm glad that somebody's calling it out. Uh, and then he went on to say, remember when movies like Gladiator, which is amazing, by the way. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? Is this not why you were here? He went on to say, why can't fun, good movies win and not just artsy things? They're both good and fun. And sometimes the fun ones are harder, a lot harder to make. The uh, Saturday Night Live star told the outlet. This to me is is like not even it's not that it's not controversial. It's obviously objectively true, right? There's so many movies. I've told you the shape of water is about a woman who has sex with her aquarium pet. Okay, that is a fact. These are terrible movies. And while I did see the Avengers uh, Ultra, whatever the most, I can't even remember what it was called now, uh, you know, Forever War or something. It was awful. I, I couldn't even get through the first hour of it. Yeah, there's popular movies that are terrible. We don't have to pretend that artsy movies are good, even when they're awful and unpopular. Well, you'd think this was un- not just uncontroversial, but a, a actually smart thing that Colin said. He got annihilated on Twitter for this over the weekend by journalists uh, and people who wrote things like, quote, Colin Jost is just a loaf of Wonder Bread with a degree from Harvard. And Colin Jost's favorite movies ranked Gladiator, Boondock Saints, Boondock Saints, Boondock Saints, Boondock Saints, Boondock Saints. I mean, people were freaking out on him. He was trending on Twitter for a while because of this, because he said maybe movies like Gladiator. And yeah, that's right. Braveheart 
the greatest movie ever made. Would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance, to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom! doesn't get any better than that folks but anyway uh yeah you know there was a time when great movies did win oscars but this that for, forget about for a second that you know this snl host and writer got dragged by the twitter social justice mob for a completely innocuous comment we expect craziness from them why why would this comment matter so much why do they care so much about award shows because clearly the progressive left and the social justice warriors really do care about this issue. They really do care that the Oscars continue to elevate movies about social justice, right? Whether and, and that the Emmys give as many awards as possible to shows where there's a, a, an emphasis on you know transgender issues and transgender rights and whatever the particular issue of the moment is for the left, they want to control the culture, folks. And they want to be able to use their control at the top to force feed us art that is not good, that we don't care to see, but they have the levers of control and power to make us sit and see it in many cases. They control the platforms, they control the distribution and the money behind these projects. And by elevating this themselves and claiming that it is fantastic, claiming there's some objective process here by which their social justice infused artwork is the best. That's how they justify the processes in place of making sure that they determine what we see, how we see it, when we see it. This is an issue of control of the culture for them. And award shows are a necessary laundering mechanism for liberalism to be pushed on all of the rest of us, even when we don't want it the show ain't over yet folks it's time for roll call yes indeed it is that part of the show where we get to dive into all of the latest from you here in roll call uh, let's see what we have here. First up, Harry writes, hi, Buck. Shields high. Catching up on podcasts. I listened to the August 13th segment on Facebook and Big Bank sharing data. You discussed the scary Internet of Things. Then I laughed out loud when you launched an, inter- an intro for an ad for Simply Safe. Oh, my God. Well, I can hope they have a very secure link between your home and your phone. Here is yet another portal of attack into our lives. No smart anything for me. Even my phone is a very dumb flip phone. Count me another proud Luddite, Harry. Uh, Well, Harry, look, there's always trade-offs with technology when it comes to a possible security vulnerability, right? I mean, if you're going to use a credit card, your credit card could get stolen. If you're going to use a a car, it's a lot safer to walk, right? You're not going to run into a tree walking and die. Uh, so we, we can't be completely closed off from the risks that technology uh, may pose. But I do think that uh, in the case, first of all, our, our sponsor simply say if it's a billion dollar company and all they do is not just figure out how to make sure that all your stuff at home is safe, but also 
that no one except for you will be able to access anything that's there. Uh, but, but to be sure, there, there are always going to be the possibilities of uh, security risks with any Wi-Fi enabled device. And that's why you want to, one, have a company you really trust and two, just be aware, at least, of what some of those issues uh, could be. But uh, indeed, Harry, I'm glad you got some amusement out of that. Ryan writes, yo, Buck, love the show. I was listening to Thursday's show and you were talking about the media's new fixation on Trump's distaste for dogs. You mentioned that you weren't a fan of Obama's dogs and stated it was a golden doodle. First, the Obamas had Portuguese water dogs. Apparently, they were considering a Labradoodle. That's what I was thinking of uh, until the Telegraph said that Labradoodles are not for presidents. Second, you crossed a line <laughs> when you dissed Golden Doodles. I understand how some people see these new mixed breeds as designer dogs. But if you love Golden Retrievers because of their incredibly warm personality and you want to reduce shedding, you can't beat a Golden Doodle. They're great dogs. I'll give you a one-time pass on this one. Shields high from Ryan. Well, Ryan, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. When it comes to Golden Doodles, I am somewhat judging a book by its cover because they just look a little frou-frou to me. Uh, but I have never known one, so I'm kind of I'm kind of being an anti golden doodle person without really having all the full facts. So, you know, let me think more. Whereas Sharpays, I don't like because they haven't been nice when I've met them. You know, there are some dogs that uh, you spend time around. You get a sense real quickly of what's going on. I think I told you all, by the way, about that story about the uh, the dachshund who had the, uh, he was dragging his earmuffs for, for anybody under the age, you know, of, of being able to hear such things. But the dachshund was dragging his peep on the ground and he was super old and I lifted him up and he tried to bite my face off. I saw that couple again who owned the dachshund and, uh, or their parents did at least, and they didn't even know that story. And I told them and they laughed a lot and they said, yeah, he has really bad back problems and he bites <laughs> I said yes he he indeed has back problems and he bites and he drags his little peep on the ground because uh, he's so low to the ground and so old and and uh, he looks so cute though because he doesn't look anyway I'm talking about the it's like a 16 year old dachshund or something it's the oldest looking dog I've ever seen uh, anyway Molly felt so bad for him she's like look what he's dragging on the ground I said well you know that would put me in a bad mood too honey so I can kind of understand uh, next up here, we have Erica who writes, I have leftover Metro cards from our DC trip. Shoot me a mailing address. I'll send them to you. I figure having extra cards will be helpful when you have visitors. Erica, that's very sweet of you, but keep them for when you come to DC the next time around. I also think Erica probably now because of all of my got to keep the lights on and the freedom hut talk is trying to help me out a little bit, which, Hey, you know, all the help I can get is, is great, but do keep your cards for the next time that you are in town. Jenna. Yes, truth. You're right on. Good shows this week. I really appreciated Tuesday night's insights into the history of fascism and communism and Antifa. I recently read liberal fascism, as you've recommended. Very relevant. Keep speaking truth. Uh, well, I'm so glad you enjoyed it. And look, it's Jonah Goldberg's finest work, in my opinion. It's a, a really excellent book, Liberal Fascism. Uh, so I'm glad you enjoyed that. And I, I try to get into as much of the backstory and history here on the show as I can. Uh, something that I think is very important. So appreciate appreciate your, your kind note. Here we go. Um, P. 
Peter writes, in response to Andrew Cuomo's America was never that great comment, America will reach greatness when we get rid of people that use discrimination and stereotyping of conservatives who have no place in the state of New York. His own words just readjusted to show the blatant bias against the people who make up most of the area of New York state. He's not welcome, nor does he stand for the people in upstate New York, minus Syracuse and Albany. In 2014, he won only 12 counties, but NYC contains the highest population of the state, uh, giving him the win. Shields high. Keep up the good fight. Nobody cares about winning those 12 counties, sir, because Cuomo only needs to win the battle in the media eyes. Uh, But no, you are correct, uh, Peter. Oh, also, he writes, forgot to mention one reason Hillary would send only hard copies of the emails is that it's very easy to use the font color option in a document to change certain characters that one would want to be unseen and select font color white, which does not appear on print but can be retrieved very easily. Think of how CIA director David Petraeus and Broadwell used draft copy in a shared Gmail account so there was no trace when deleted. Uh, I don't know anything about any of that, Peter, but that was certainly interesting. Thank you for thank you for writing. Um, John writes, I have noticed I haven't seen a post from you in months. Hashtag silenced. Well, you know, John, I've I people listen to the show. No, I've been worried about social media censorship for years now. Uh, and there are, there's clear there is a left wing bias. They're admitting there's a left wing bias. And, you know, that's that's just something we're going to have to figure out now. Uh, Dennis writes, Buck, I listen five days a week. I'm a fan. When you change your voice to mimic a dopey liberal, it sounds like fingernails on a chalkboard. I know this sounds petty, but maybe if other fans are also mentioning this, you might be mindful and not try to do that as much. Other than that, I'm all in. I'm glad you're out there in radio land. Dennis, appreciate the uh, the constructive criticism. And, you know, it's always a balancing act. I can tell you that a few times when I went on, when I filled in for Rush Limbaugh in the earlier days of my career, you know, I'm at that huge Rush Limbaugh mic. It's just a pretty incredible experience to reach that many people at, at a radio uh, or with a radio mic. And I would get afterwards, especially if I did like Kaiser Wilhelm, Wilhelm de Blasio. Yeah, guten Tag. And I would do this whole, you know, because Bill de Blasio's real name is Kaiser Wilhelm. Or it wasn't Kaiser Wilhelm, pardon me. It's Warren Wilhelm. It was not actually, pardon me, it was not actually Kaiser Wilhelm. And I would get 100 messages saying, oh my gosh, your Bill de Blasio thing was hilarious. You need to do that. Like every show all the time. And I would get, let's say 30 messages that were like, I loved your entire show except for Bill de Blasio stuff. Don't do that again or I won't listen. And I would sit there and say, okay, well, you know, what do I do now? You know, it's, it's always a little bit of a balancing act in radio. You just end up going with what you think, you know, feels right with you. And then you, you try and adjust based on the sense you can get from the audience. But there's no, there's no perfect answer to that. That said, Dennis, uh, I'll, I'll try to, Make sure that I strike a, a, a better balance. I appreciate the constructive criticism. Monty writes, Buck, so glad you had Dan Bongino in the Freedom Hut. My two favorite podcasters. I listen to your show in podcast form. Dan's enthusiasm and energy means I start my daily walk with my Chabrador, a lab chow mix, listening to Dan. Then it's Buck after I go on duty. Thanks for keeping us informed and entertained. Well, thank you 
for for listening. And yeah, I, Dan is a great guy. I've known Dan in this business. Gosh, it's crazy. I start thinking about this now. I've, I've I think I've known Dan Bongino for at least six years now. So we we go back uh, quite a ways. Um, he's he's a great guy, and I'm very happy for him uh, for all of his success, richly deserved. I mean, he's a guy out there who's just making it happen by making a really good product and, and drawing in people that want to listen. You know, I, I, you know, the, the Bongino model Shapiro, some of the people who are out there now who are just building these really, you know, these, these massive audiences uh, without having a huge traditional platform. I just think, I think that's so good for the national political conversation. I think it's so good for conservatism Something we're doing here, too, of course, although I do have a lot of terrestrial, uh, wonderful terrestrial affiliates, over 120 of them. So that is a that is a traditional platform. I can't pretend that I don't have a traditional platform. I've got a great one. Uh, but the the digital platforms that people are building, Dan Bongino, uh, high up on that list are really, really impressive. Uh, Brian writes, Buck, heard you mention mistakes in speech like intensive purposes Another good one is irregardless. No such word. My problem is the one person that I know who uses the word is someone I can't correct. My wife shields high. Well, Brian, your secret is safe with me, my friend. We won't tell anybody that you outed your wife for saying irregardless. But thanks very much for writing, my friend. Good to hear from you. That's going to be it for today in the hut. I will see you all or I guess talk to you all. We'll all chat together. Same time, same place. Shields high. I talk about Simply Safe Home Security a lot on this show because it's a great security system. It is fantastic protection. I've got it at home, right? And it's so easy to use. Well, I've got some exciting news for you folks. Simply Safe, this company that's, you know, just been trying to provide the best service, the best systems for all of you, it's now valued at a billion dollars. I've known them for years. The Simply Safe guys are all about protecting your home, your effects, and your family. And it's comprehensive protections. You get round-the-clock monitoring and police dispatch to protect you against intruders, fires, leaks, even burst pipes. Okay, Simply Safe even keeps working during powder outages, downed Wi-Fi, even if a burglar smashes your keypad. Check it out for yourself. This is the best system you can get. Order your Simply Safe system now. My listeners get free shipping and free returns when you go to simplysafe.com/buck. That's S-I-M-P-L-I-S-A-F-E. Simplysafe.com/buck. Protect your home today with simplysafe.com slash buck.